Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it's it's DeVito. Um... I'm just coming here to say uh, that I love the Fallout app, and I would like to tell you about the service that they use to make this podcast. It's called Anchor. The best thing about Anchor is it's free. You don't have to pay anything. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. Now, you can even add songs from Spotify directly to the episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you're going to be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You know, I make money for your podcast with very little, uh, minimum, little, little, little listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks, guys. Your attention, please. Your attention, please. This is your official civil defense broadcaster. One of the greatest threats would be radioactive fallout. Uranium fever. Where fallout is heaviest, it can even kill those who have not taken proper shelter. Broadcasting deep underground in a questionably constructed survivalist bunker is Dave Chaffins and Kenneth Vigue, and your host as always, Mr. Robots. This episode of the Fallout Hub is brought to you by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Open enrollment for advanced robotics courses starts now. Totally nothing sketchy going on. Nope, not at all. All right, Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the Fallout Hub for a very, very, very extra very special episode. And if you're watching the video version of this, you can see already that we have some very special guests who I'm about to introduce. But let's start off by introducing myself. I am your host, Tom, or Robots. And with me, as always, I have Dave. Dave, how's it going? It is going very well. I'm very pleased to be here on this joyous day. (laughs) This joyous day. And we have Ken also. Ken, welcome. I am here with the Afghan, as you can see. 
Yeah, Ken, yeah. Ken always has the Afghan. Afghan and chair. Grandma in our hearts. <laughs> and if you're new to the Fallout Hub, this is the show that we talk about all the awesome stuff about Fallout 76, uh, tips and gameplay, and we also interview some really, really cool people. And this week we have some exceptionally cool people. We have Mark and Ferret from Bethesda. Welcome, guys. How's it going? Uh, it's going great. Uh, yeah, we're excited to be here. Uh, this is uh, I don't get to do a lot of these, so I'm 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 stoked. Awesome, awesome, Ferret. Yeah. Welcome too. Nice to be here. It's wonderful to see you guys. I especially appreciate your background. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so, uh, for for our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with you guys by name, can you go into a little bit, just a quick little uh, elevator speech about what you do in the company and, and a little bit about your history with Bethesda and Fallout? Yeah, Ferret, you go first. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, my name is Sarah Bodwin. I'm the lead designer on Fallout 76. Uh, I have probably one of the craziest uh, sort of relationships with Fallout because I actually worked at Fallout uh, 3, on, which was called Van Buren over Black Isle way back in the day, um, which was, you know, so I have the distinction of when I was interviewing a Bethesda, it's like, I've worked on Fallout 3. Just not yours. <laughs> so that was fun. But no, I was uh, I was a, a designer on um, Fallout 4. I did the railroad. I did Deacon. I did Curie. I did all sorts of... Uh, uh, of a fun quest there, and I was the lead uh, the lead quest designer at launch uh, for um, all the content for Fallout seventy six, and then post post launch, I was the lead designer. Very cool, That's awesome, very cool. Awesome. And Mark, hi, I'm Mark Tucker. I'm the design director for Fallout seventy six. Uh, Pre launch, I was the uh, assistant lead designer. Uh, so post launch, I've moved into the the director role. Uh, let's see, my path to getting to BGS was. Uh, kind of unimaginable, uh, to, to say the least. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was originally working for a different Zenimax studio called Battlecry Studios, uh, located in Austin. And, you know, we were working on our own thing. And then at a certain point, uh, that thing went away and we started working with, uh, the Bethesda game studios in, in Maryland. And long story short, uh, we combined forces. Our studio became Bethesda Game Studios Austin, and uh, you know, here we are today. It's it's been uh, again. If somebody had told me, you know, seven years ago when I started working at that studio that I'd be working for Bethesda Game Studios, I would have said no way. That's not possible because I, I I really. <laughs> You know, never planned on leaving Austin, so I didn't ever think that could happen. <laughs> so, in some uh, uncanny uh, set of circumstances, Bethesda Game Studios came to Austin and came to me. So it was great. I'm, I'm, That's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's very cool. Well, uh, let me just speak for the three of us and say that we are a little bit excited to talk to you guys. Um, I mean, I mean, we're absolutely stoked. Uh, we've. The three of us have been playing uh, Fallout 76 a ton and uh, the other games in the series. Um, we each have hosted our own podcasts about these things. Um, and, you know, this is this is a fandom that we are very, very excited to be part of. And to be able to talk to you guys directly and get a little bit of the behind the scenes on these games is is uh, it's kind of a little bit of a dream come true, to be honest. Which um, So thank you so much for joining us. Um, the beginning of our show... We always have what's called the Robots Dozen. This is when we ask you guys uh, quick fire 12 questions. And we're going to start with 
Mark, I think, and I we're going to go I, back and I, forth. I think, I think I drew the short straw. Yeah, so we're going to start. <laughs> yeah. We're going to start with Mark, and um, we're going to go back and forth between the two of you, and just whatever's the first thing that comes to mind when we ask you the question, just go with that. Right? There's no, there's no wrong answer, unless I mean, I guess there is a wrong answer, but just you know, just go with it. So here we go. Question number one: Where did Cotton Eye Joe come from? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> okay. That's a legit did. answer. Legit I think answer. That is the right answer. Yeah. I think he probably did come from Maryland. All right. Yeah. Uh, number two, what is your signature dance move? Barrett? Oh my God. It's the embarrassing dad to dance that even my kids don't want to do anymore. So it was like. <laughs> that was, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There was no hesitation with that answer. I didn't expect to get the visual representation of that. That is awesome. Very yes. nice. This is Thank what you. we're here for. Yeah, I like this. That. Is, this is what we're here for. I'm going to have to ask these questions of our other hosts later in the show. Um, <laughs> number three, back to Mark. Uh, you have to be a super mutant or a death claw for 24 hours. Which do you choose? Ooh, that's interesting. I'm going super mutant for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why? Still, you know, I can still talk. I mean, yes, I guess technically there is precedent <laughs> for a one talking death claw, I believe, back in the day. Yeah. But generally yeah. speaking, you know, being able to talk uh, with, you know, short syllable words. Yeah. You know, I think communication is still important. <laughs> and I can crush people with my, you know, ridiculous muscles. That's true. That's super mutant crush puny human. Crush puny human. Meat bags for everybody. Ferret, would you rather have half a shaved head or missing one eyebrow? Or be missing one eyebrow? Oh, half a shaved head. I've done that before in time, so... (laughs) That's easy. (laughs) We'll have to have some pictures. Uh, We'll put them up on social media. Actually, I think Uh, it was a full shaved head. At one point, I just got got tired of hair, which distressed everyone. But it was just like, enough! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, back to Mark. Pineapple on pizza? Oh, hell yeah. No hesitation there. Yes. All right. With with an extra uh, uh, Canadian bacon on the side or on the pizza? Mm, Yeah. That's actually one of my favorites. I can already see the chat lighting up with people on the pineapple pizza debate. Oh, yeah. (laughs) yeah, Immediately. Heavy contention. (laughs) You just gained a ton of fans and lost a ton of fans. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable in my pineapple on my pizza. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you're not taking pineapple away from me on my pizza. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ferret. Uh, question number eight: What is the best animal sound? <laughs> uh, the uh, what does the fox sound like? For whatever reason, that's what you're doing. <laughs> oh, <the fox> <laughs> ding 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 ding. <laughs> All right, back to Mark. Um, would you rather give a twenty-minute speech? To a hundred people, naked while while naked, or listen to a hundred people give twenty minute speeches fully clothed. Mm, I'm going a hundred people giving speeches fully clothed. Yeah, yeah. two thousand hours of speech yeah. giving. I sit through a lot of meetings, so you know, I, I think I've got a pretty good tolerance. <laughs> I think you've already answered this one in real life, actually. Yeah. 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 I think I've already hit that quota. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ferret. Question number ten: Why not cross the beams? 
go for it. Just do it. <laughs> I, I say what the heck with it. <laughs> All right. Like the end of the end of Ghostbusters one. Yeah, just let's just do it anyway. <laughs> All right. Question number 11, Mark. This is your last one. Um, All right. You get a second dog in Fallout. It's not dog meat. Mm-hmm. What do you name it? Hmm. Cat meat. Cat meat? <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a dog? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm trying to do that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, I feel like there's you know, there's some kind of theme there. And with little little time to think about it, I'm trying to I'm trying to stay you know theme and variation. So I figured cat meat awesome. could be you know monkey meat, giraffe meat. You know, it just so yeah. happens that the first one was a dog, dog meat. But there's no reason why we can't go with other animal meats for names, right? I mean, it's true, it's true. You know, or I guess you could go. You know, if you wanted to keep dog as the as the the anchor point, you could go dog veggie. You know, dog whatever, <laughs> dog pineapple. <laughs> Dog pineapple. Oh, no, not again. (laughs) Put dog bacon on your pineapple pizza. Yeah, exactly. That's good. I bet dog bacon doesn't taste very good. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. uh, Final question for Ferret. Uh, It's a very similar question. You now get a third dog in Fallout. What do you name it? Oh man, I even would have time to do it. The thing is, is that actually naming—you would not believe how civilized we can be. And then when it comes to naming, how the arguments can sometimes flow. Like we're very particular about names sometimes. Uh, so I'm just gonna say something. Hurricane, just a word. I don't know why. It would take me sometimes days and weeks to properly name things. You know, just in the back of my head. So, but hurricane. So hurricane. So so the two of you are building your fallout settlement and now you have dog meat, cat meat, and hurricane as your, as your three dog companions. Very cool. Well, thank you for answering the robots dozen. This has secretly been your goat test also. And we now have some uh, results for you. So let me pull that up. Okay. All right. So Mark Mark, um, you will be uh, your career now will be gymnast. Congratulations! Oh, that's right. you know what? That was always going to be my fallback at games. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so, I'm thrilled. Congratulations, yeah. gymnast. You. Um, you. you know, high high stats for uh, you know agility and all that kind of stuff. All right, then we have um, uh, Ferret. It looks like yeah, you're. It says here, didgeridoo expert. No. Oh, a didgeridoo. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're I just a musician. In Australia, so I have a little bit of uh, practice on that already. Perfect. So, you know? Well, good, good. Yeah, so you can you can charm us with your. <laughs> I don't know if they make other notes, but that I'm, you're just gonna I'm be an expert I'm at happy that. To dance and, and do acrobatics while he plays, so <laughs> we can make a pretty good tour. Yeah, I think this might be inspiring. We might be inspiring you on some new yeah. characters to add into seventy six. <laughs> So, guys, we have um, uh, a number of questions for you about Fallout 76 and kind of where things are going. We're very excited about the new stuff that's coming out later this year and some of the things that have kind of been teased and kind of trickling out into the newsfeed. So we've got some questions. I know uh, Ken's got the first one to kick this off. Ken? Yeah, when we'd had Pete Hines on, he'd commented that making games is hard, and he's right. I think a lot of us who grew up pointing and clicking within my uh, within Mist 
or even uh, making up your own characters backstory in Fallout 3. Love that classic RPG style, but trends and tastes evolve. At the end of the day, you're artists and fellow gamers, but a company needs to stay on trend. So how hard is it to juggle the core experience of Fallout with the evolving taste of the industry? I mean, that has to be an incredibly hard needle to thread. Yes, uh, it is, uh, no doubt. And, you know, when you look at the just uh, Fallout 76 as a project, as a game, right, you can see where, okay, we took what has been a historically single-player franchise and moved it into a multiplayer space. So that right there is a massively challenging undertaking, right? Like just on, on the technology side alone uh, is, a, is a huge lift. But on top of that, it's also a challenge for just the, the property, the franchise, right? Like how do we meet fan expectation? We're taking, we're, we're, we're moving into a space that a lot of our fans may not be in, right? So, you know, threading that needle you know, I'll be the first to admit, like this project, all of our players have witnessed the, the ups and downs of, of try, us trying to thread that needle, right? Um, and, you know, I think we've got a lot of things right. We've definitely made a few mistakes along the way. Um, but, you know, we, we are definitely, you know, as players of our game and developers of our game, we're pretty cognizant of, you know, after we get it out there and we, we get the feedback where we've gone wrong, how to course correct. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the industry is moving towards kind of this games as a service model. We're threading that needle and, and the challenge of not only building the tech and, and getting the game out, we're also having to run a live service and continue to put updates out. It's, um, you know, by far one of the most uh, challenging uh, projects I've ever been involved with. Uh, and, and, you know, it is it is a you know not only threading the needle; it's just a balancing act every week, two weeks. You know, okay, you know, we're trying to get this thing done, but we've also got a problem in the game we have to deal with. Uh, it's yeah. it's uh, never ending, and and it it can be a little stressful at times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah bal- bal- balancing yeah. sprints and response to the community, yeah, I'm sure, is, is difficult. A lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the franchise. Uh, I, I know I'll let Ferret answer more on that in that area because he's that's definitely an area he has a lot more experience in but that's that's tricky too right so i, I think i think it's been it's it's, it's always a challenge to, to stay there but i think one of the tricks is that a lot of us are like incredible diehard fans of the genre so i play pretty much every rpg most mmos uh you know extensively that's that's you know, I, I, I get the awesome thing of being able to tell my wife when she's like, are you still playing? It's like, well, it's research. <laughs> I guess it's market research. Leave me alone. I am always doing research and I'm always laughing and it's always a good time, but no, it's work. <laughs> yep. But it, it is it is one of those things, you know, you, you play people's other, other games, you see what's working, you see what's don't. And even then, for Fallout 76, that isn't, there was no clear analog. There still isn't of um, right. the game that we made and that were the game that we're continuing to evolve into. And I think it was always just a, okay, we, we obviously know Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 extremely well. Um, and so just trying to figure out what are the next steps? Like, what are the next things that we can do to excite people? What are the next, next experiences that we can deliver on? 
um, the whole project was tremendously exciting because it's you know it's never been done really like having multiplayer in this in this setting and I think that uh, we didn't predict how cool the community would be but in some respects maybe we should have just because it's like a lot of us have been around the franchise forever and it's you know it's just a good group of people for the most part you know that just love this genre and so for us it's it's always it, it, the thing that isn't hard is adding the, adding another Fallout location, or it is its work, right? But it, it's it's not like it was risky. It's not like we weren't like we're going to go like you know to to Appalachia try to bring that to life and and such. Like the, the sort of the lore stuff was actually probably the easiest thing that we were doing. Like all the tech stuff. That's that's where it was an incredible effort by the engineers to to even get us to minute one of people playing uh, in a in a game that felt like Fallout. Yeah, and I think, uh, like from a marketing and business standpoint, live service games as a trend has really disrupted the the whole video game industry. So I think all companies are, are still trying to evolve with that trend and stay current in a big way. Yeah, I mean, it's it. There's there's pros and cons, right? Um, this this type of project. Uh, a lot of companies can't do this, right? It's a massive investment out of the gate, right? So we're fortunate uh, to be, you know, working for a company that is willing to make that that bet, right? Um, and uh, you know, I think this this game in particular, like, I'm excited to have been a part of it and to continue being a part of it because you know all all the pieces are coming together really well for this thing to have an amazing long run right we've got a fantastic universe to work in we have a company that is willing to make this hard bet and and stick with it and we have a an incredibly talented development team right so you bring all these pieces together and we have a fan base that you know as as fair was pointing out we have an amazing community right we have fans that love the game and it's a remarkably just i mean i love it like i love our fans they are they're they're nice they're nice to each other most of the time like it's, it's a great community right and, and how, they, how they embrace how how you guys embrace each other is fantastic so it's 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 just you know the stars have aligned and we have something really special here and and it's uh you know so i'm excited because i i do think this is we have an opportunity that other companies and projects don't and i think this thing can I, I think we can have a really long run with it and continue to, to add to it, make it better, fix problems, add new. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, uh, you know, kind of going back to one of my, when I was introducing myself, I, I couldn't have imagined, uh, having the opportunity to be a part of such an interesting project, a unique project, uh, and something that I think, you know, when history looks back on it, we will, you know, People will reflect on this game as sort of a, a, it'll be a defining game, I think, because we're not an MMO, right? We're, we are right. not an MMO. We're definitely not a single player game either. We're, we're, we're threading a needle there as you, as you were putting it earlier. So yeah. it's almost like a cooperative, you're a cooperative RPG without being an MMO. Yeah. Yeah. And then every now and then there's other people around. 
yeah. And, 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 you know, and there is some room for some conflict and some PvP yeah. and some other things. Yeah. But for the most part, it's it's like playing a cooperative RPG. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's definitely something that I appreciate about it, especially because my wife is also a big fan of the series and um, actually probably has more swag than I do. <laughs> but being able to play a game like this with my wife instead of passing the controller back and forth is is a magical experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ken, did you have another uh, question? I did. Yeah, Wastelanders, um, from reviews alone, has really been an unparalleled success. Um, it's not only brought back a lot of people who stayed away from the game in year one, but also introduced a lot of the traditional elements that made it feel more like Fallout, um, the one that they were familiar with. Was it always the plan to introduce NPCs eventually, or was the decision to bring in NPCs a response to the desires of the community? It was talked about almost immediately as soon as we started coming up with this sort of design for what this game would be, that there was there, you know, there there were developers that didn't agree that said that, you know, right out the gate that we should make it to where that there's talking NPCs and the more traditional fixtures of a Bethesda RPG. Um they would have added an enormous amount of technical challenge on something that was already like the Russian judge was giving us like, Oh, that's a 12 out of 10 for technical difficulty already. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there were, there were straight up logistical reasons why uh, you do want to ship this. Right. So, okay. All right. <laughs> you know, um, but it was something that was, you know, on, you know, it was on our radar from a very early point. Um, but, the thing about doing something that was just so, you know, there, there's no clear analog, like I was saying, that, you know, people would argue about, like, what the community would want, but we didn't know, not for sure, right? Like, you know, pe- people would make very good arguments both ways of, oh, we should do this or we shouldn't do this. So ultimately, we, we worked with the box that, you know, like, no, like, if you see, if you see a, a, someone, someone that looks like a human being, that's a human being. And there's some really cool advantages to that too. I mean, that's it is does you hear a gunshot off in the distance and you're like, who is that killing something right over there? You know, that's that's pretty neat. Um, but like, you know, once it launched, it was clear that there were a lot of people that that was a, some really critical elements that were missing. And so it became kind of just like, well, then yes, let's let's do what we all you know. Like the, there were there were plans for okay, or if if we do do this, this is the sort of thing we want to do. So actually, like as soon as we pulled the trigger on that, a lot of the pre-production was already baked in because it's something that was in the back of a lot of people's minds from for a very long time. Still, though, to to turn to suddenly bring in NPCs and bring in voice talent and all of that in the time frame that you guys did was a massive undertaking. <laughs> I think Pete. I think Pete Hines had said that you guys went over budget on voice talent with the amount of people that you brought in to write all of this awesome stuff. Well, I, you know, I uh, I'm a lead designer, but I also write a lot, and you know, it's very hard to tell me just stop writing. <laughs> and I know I'm not alone, so yeah, I can sympathize. I, we, we caught some uh, a little bit of flack for that, but it was also like there there are good reasons for it. I mean, because before you didn't, as soon as you add generic uh, people. There is a multiplication factor that happens because, like, every line you write is multiplied by every actor. So in Fallout Four, you know that you know that that was kind of already baked in when we were doing the DLCs and stuff like that. It's like, oh no, you know, all that's free. But as soon as we said, okay, no, 
as soon as you add a generic grader, you multiply every line that they do by, you know, N. And it, 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 it gets, it gets uh, the line count gets high very fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we, might have, we might have missed that budget by just a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, it was worth it. I mean, I ab- yeah, I absolutely agree. I, the the characters that you've written, the the backstories, even beforehand during year one, you come across these notes and hollow tapes, and um, even without NPCs, there were some really amazing stories um, of people that you just missed, like the Enola Walker story. Whoever wrote that, you talk about some evocative stuff of slowly being turned into a scorch. That that was a beautiful written little bit of, of following those holotapes around you get those finally in the form of npcs and it's just as really compelling to engage with those people I, I actually think the one thing that like if you didn't know that appalachia was dead and you're playing fallout 76 i think there's a lot more dramatic tension and it's ultimately always going to be very depressing right because it's like oh maybe i can take this guy oh he died this person, I'm going to say, they're dead. You know, right. having that hope might help, but it's certainly as soon as you add people in, it's just like I think we get that sense back because it's like, okay, we're telling this guy's story. Is he going to make it? Is he not? Is this decision you're making right now going to eventually ripple into something terrible down the line? It's like no, it's the you know all those are fair game again, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Go, go ahead, Ken. Go when, ahead. when you have uh, during year one that just feeling like you just missed a living person accompanies you through the whole game. I remember even doing the Mistress of Mystery when you mm-hmm. finally find her and her daughter. You feel like you just missed them, like they were just alive, and now they're not. It's so tragic. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Um, so a, a lot of this stuff, uh, when you talk about characters and, and so the experience you have pulling from Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 and making those and building character stories and things like that, um, obviously you're drawing from a, a wealth of experience from the other games. How much are you pulling influences from other older Fallout games in the series for some of the upcoming stuff? Are you looking back? You said earlier in when we were talking that you're going back and playing Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. Is that influencing some of the stuff coming forward or stuff from Fallout 3? Are we going to see are we going to see nods to storylines or characters? Or, you know, like how is that influencing things? It's, you know, we definitely are influenced by the, the earlier titles. Uh, you know, it's we don't necessarily want to retread old ground, but at the same time, uh, you know, we also can't uh, take some aspects of Fallout and turn it on its head necessarily. It, it, so there, there's a balancing act there. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a good way to, to talk about this without giving away too much of what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we have to. Uh, it's the nature of kind of one. So there's some interesting challenges with, with our game, right? Aside from the fact that it's a multiplayer game and, and all that, we're, we're a prequel. Right, so we have mm-hmm. to be very careful about what we do in our game because it, it timeline-wise, happened before all the other games. Right, so yeah. there's a lot of conversation every time we start talking about something new, a new storyline, whatever. There's always that always comes up in the conversation. Well, how does that? How is that going to fit in the in the the overall world? You know, in some ways, like how did how did it not make its way? To, to DC, how did it not make its way to the West Coast? Like we have to think about these things. We don't always explain it, right? But we yeah. definitely think about it. So there's a lot of that uh, 
conversation that happens with regards to the other titles. And then also uh, where the timelines do kind of overlap, you know, like, you know, thinking about some of the stuff we're doing right now, we, you know, we are looking at uh, the previous games to make sure that we're not accidentally retconning something, that we're keeping the continuity of, of, of the story, the characters, where, where it makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say it's kind of more that, like just continuity. The fact that we're a prequel is introduces all kinds of challenges, uh, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, that's... I, I think also for, for me, a lot of it, it's not that I'm explicitly saying, hey, I want here to have a nod to Fallout 3. Or here, I want to have a nod to Fallout 4. For me, it's a holistic thing. The, the, the lore is the world, right? And so when you go into a certain area, I just want it to organically feel like it belongs. Um, and for, like, I did a lot of the writing for the Brotherhood of Steel at the launch of, for Fallout 76. And for me, I, like, I'm a big, huge Fallout Brotherhood of Steel fan. And to me, it was an awesome chance to sort of say, like let's explore some things that haven't been explored before that make sense because Maxon has always been just a very intriguing figure to me. And so just by talking about that, actually there are nods to all sorts of things uh, from various games, follow one, probably more, more than anything. Yeah. And, um, but to me, it wasn't like I was trying to say, Hey, I want to make an allusion to these things. It's more like, no, this is part of the world and the world went this way and it's kind of cool because it was able to add a twist to it where it's like no Maxon's actually you know he was a, a very interesting figure and a very important figure but his vision of what the Brotherhood of Steel should be wasn't quite adhered to which I think makes perfect sense especially after a huge disaster I think history rewrites itself all the time and so that was a really fun space to work in and i think the other thing that uh, like i i like doing as well is like once we have the story then we just knock some of the story off like there's been holotapes which have been written that i'm just like yeah and delete because it's just it's much better if there are some holes right because it's just like yeah no there's there's some we know some of those answers and in fact we've written some of those answers but you know, it allows you to play the guessing game, which is especially like at launch. I think archaeology, lore archaeology, if you're a person that's a lore person, is just that's 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 the jam, right? Like, so we were wanting to make it so that it was as intriguing as possible. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I, I love the idea of there being like holes, and um, I, I do the Fallout lore cast, so obviously I'm a lore person. But that that when you put together, when I put together an episode and I go explore like something, and I go like, here's a piece here, and here's a piece here, but then there's this gap, and I'm you know, and I post, I you know, I'm like, well, this is what would make sense for me in that gap. But what do you guys think? Because we don't know. You guys are the only ones who would know. When listening to your podcast, Rob, uh, robots, uh, there have been times I've just been. <laughs> oh, <no>. well, good. <laughs> well, good. Well, you could write in sometime as like a anonymous person, and be like, well, "What if it's this?" And then like set the internet on fire. Perhaps <laughs> yeah. I have in the past, and then was told that's impossible. <laughs> 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 My code name is uh, Muskrat. Yeah. Muskrat. <laughs> awesome. So stuff. part of part of part of my background is um, I studied geography in college, and then um, took a minor in Appalachian Studies. 
ended up moving back to West Virginia. So I live two blocks from the Capitol. Um, oh, wow. So I've spent I spent like four years uh, watching and reading and going through a bunch of media, even and salivating from, and salivating um, <laughs> from like even the 1800s on just about Appalachia, the region, the culture, the the complex dynamic issues. Um, so I kind of have some questions centered around that. Um, one of the things that I'm, I think, most impressed about um, is, of course, the landscape and the world. So how did you all capture and condense landmark cities and other location, locations in such surprising detail for this geographic region that really isn't widely known around the world? Well, I, I know uh, our lead artist, actually, he took, he took a vacation uh, but while he was on vacation, was taking a lot of photographs, and uh, apparently the people that were with him were. I kept like, "Why do you take all these pictures?" And like, I don't know, just you know, really interesting. And so he took a ton of photos. Uh, so we got a lot of photo reference there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one thing I'm I'm aware of that that helped. Um, you know, Ferret can probably elaborate quite a bit more because he was more involved in those earlier stages than I was. But uh, I, I do know like that that has been kind of you know, in the past, other projects have done that. Um, yeah. Nathan Perkypile was our location yeah. scout. Yeah. Like he, he did an epic tour of West Virginia and some of the goofiest things in there, like, like the, the Landview uh, lighthouse, uh, you know, the first time I saw that on a list, I'm like, dude, no, we can't do that. I mean, Fallout's goofy <laughs> up. And, he, and then you'd show a picture. There. It's there. <laughs> and I'm like, fair enough. I it's guess goofy because it's actually house. goofy. Yeah. Right. Uh, There's a house with lots of pumpkins and a giant teapot. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, you know, now, now it's just real life. And it's, so it was awesome that, that Perky was able to explore with that eye to what would really pop as a Fallout place. And the other neat thing about working with reality is uh, it's very easy to just with a Google search, uh, oh, okay, this is what it looks like. And it's, it's not as easy to then figure out how you're going to fit it in on the art schedule to get all those pieces in there. But uh, I think a lot of times you, you folk, uh, you know, they could answer better than me. But certainly we focus on uh, the things that are the, the sort of eye-popping things, the, the, the sort of really memorable parts, like, oh, this whole facade here that's distinct. You see that you think Harper's Ferry. It's like, okay, we need to get this right. Like the back alley, whatever, you know, you can probably get away with it being, you know, three feet this way, you know, local people would be like, Hey, (laughs) I live right there. It's like, well, I'm sorry. Like, you know, we we can't afford to recreate reality. So we we pick our battles. Um, And then a lot of times, actually, there's a lot of uh, push and pull about just the scale of things. Right. Because ultimately, uh, it is very easy to make things too big. And uh, the bigger things are, uh, sometimes the more cumbersome it is as a player, it's harder for us to create, it's harder for us to fill. Like, if you make a big space, the expectation is there's a lot of content there. So uh, I think a, a lot of the, the real trickiness comes with us figuring out, okay, like, we got the look roughly right, and now we have to make it fit the right scale. But fortunately, right. our level designers and, and environmental artists are just really, really good. Some of the best in the industry. So that's 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 just what they do. And 
they've done it so for her for so long that they're actually they're really fast at it too. This, it's interesting. It, well, on the first day we played it, I played with a friend that lives in the neighborhood, and um, we we live right in between. There's like the downtown of Charleston with um, the Hornwright Building, and then there's the Capitol Building, and we technically live in between there. And we go there. We're like, oh, I wonder if our neighborhood would be there, and it's just flattened. And then we were going, uh, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> That's pretty much everything in thought. Just eh, it's flattened. <laughs> But it's interesting talking about those landmarks and there's even like little details like I I, I can like there's a bridge that I run on that's the bridge in Charleston and it's like across from that there's a building that's exactly recreated and that's like where I like to take my wife for an anniversary dinner Uh, like even especially some of the interiors in the bigger locations like going through the Greenbrier and 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 I mean that's like shot for shot i mean you know for all intents and purposes um it's it's crazy because like for people that live here and i know that there's a lot of people that feel similarly there's like a kind of like a weird like memory tick so when you're there you're like this is familiar and you like have these like seeing it like recreated in a digital environment it's almost like a like a vr kind of experience i don't know like you're doing some google maps and you've like placed yourself down the middle i think that's a really interesting thing so kind of going from that uh, going through a lot of the media for, I guess, the representation that Appalachia has is is kind of, you know, backwards hillbilly rednecks. Um, <laughs> this game, I think, is it's wild, and I don't think that people fully understood what was what was going on. And I, I was clued in enough that I kind of I kind of got it, but it is so deep in its representation of kind of what the culture of Appalachia is and like to expect that from a video game instead of like this like an NPR style documentary or uh, (laughs) like really you know artsy movie about the the, like to to see that from a video game is is amazing so what was kind of the key and 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 is continuing to be the key of making Appalachia feel more realistic rather than this character that most people think that it is I think that when we were doing development and, and it, I want to say before even minute one, we just all knew that we were going to, we always treat our areas with respect. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is trying to bring it into the fallout universe. Right. But also right. it's a wonderful opportunity because with fiction, you can sort of be a mirror to show society to itself. Like if you put it in a different context, people can let aside their, their preconceptions and they can maybe look at something fresh, at least as, a, as, as someone that writes, that's something I, I care about a lot, is that it's an opportunity for people to self-reflect and maybe grow a little, or at least just have some fun listening to some stories. I mean, no judgment, like, but you know, it is, when, look, when given this opportunity, it's like, no, absolutely, you know, fully cognizant that Appalachia, West Virginia has received uh, not necessarily the greatest media. And, uh, but we would pass along like links and stuff like that for, you know, documentaries and stuff like that. Anthony Bourdain did one in Appalachia, which I thought was yep. incredibly powerful. And, uh, so we were tr- looking at this and, and just really thinking about like, okay, these are the real problems of Appalachia, but we're not talking about contemporary Appalachia. So like, let's say like this was the Appalachia, but it changed and it grew, but we wanted to keep sort of those gestalt sort of issues there 
that no, you know, mining is still a big deal. It makes sense. Like that wouldn't go away. Uh, if anything, with the resource wars and stuff like that, with the fallout, you would think that it would get even like old veins with like, if there's even a glimmer of resources, they're going to open it again. Right. And who's going to, if they're opening again, what's that mean? Miners. Right. But then we throw in like the whole thing, which is more of a contemporary thing, which is like, okay, it sucks sometimes with the mining conditions. It's terrible historically. And, you know, so, but you throw in automation, it's like, you know, what's even possibly worse is also just not having that job at all. And that's something which I think is going to be on the forefront of people's mind going forward. So it felt like, if anything, we were like looking ahead to, in the future, this could be a very serious issue, if not for some people already is. And so uh, we just had that as kind of like as our headspace as we're designing things. And uh, it was remarkable because I don't think I ever had to tell someone this is too uh, trite, this is too disrespectful. I think everybody was just fully on board with like, no, no, we're, we're going to try to make these humans as 3D as possible. In fact, there were like one of the people that had the kind of patois of the area is actually one of the most brilliant people, which I thought was awesome. Like, it's just like, okay, cool. You know, like, yes, you have that sort of twang, but you're also this like home taught scientist lady that's doing all this research that just sort of handles. Oh yeah. Apocalypse happen. Going to get to my job. Going to try to figure it out. And it's like, you go. (laughs) So I think we were all very excited to try to do a very, misrepresented area justice. So what gave you the idea to adapt cryptids to the Fallout universe? <laughs> you got it, right? <laughs> They're awesome. Some of the stories are so fantastic. I mean, well, like, I'm going to let Mark talk about one of them in specific, because when you first talk, I, I, I read a lot. I had not, I'll let Mark go. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we, we added a cryptid after launch, the Sheep Squatch, right? And when we first started talking about the Sheep Squatch, uh, you know, we, we presented the idea, and everybody just was like, what it, I mean, you hear the name, and it's just like, that's that sounds kind of goofy. What is that? Like, And we had, to, we, had, we had to explain, like, we didn't make this up. Like The first time, the first time Mark told me about that, I was like, no. No, we're not gonna like. Come on, like Fallout's goofy enough, really. And then he's sent me the link, and I'm like, play on, sir. Yeah. I mean, so you know, this. I mean, you know, it, it sounded goofy, but as we started talking about it and looking at all the, you know, the sightings and everything, and some of the, you know, the, the supposed photographs and 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 art that uh, people from the region had created, it's like, oh no, this is like. This is really cool, and it is it is unique. It's unique to that area. It's it's their Bigfoot, right? Like, so it was kind of like, you know, after some some you know discussions and real realizations, like, okay, no, this is actually part of the lore. Um, you know, we decided, okay, let's move forward with it, and but let's let's also kind of make it our own. Like, it, yeah, it's kind of got a little bit of a goofy name, but like, let's not. It's not going to be goofy. Like when you see this thing, it's it should be terrifying. Um, so. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one. I mean, I you know, like definitely the adding adding anything called a sheep squatch to any game, I think will have to go down uh, as like 
a check. That's definitely a checkbox for me on my career. Like, I don't think <laughs> I can imagine you all sitting on YouTube at work, looking up old um, mountain monsters. Those, you know, those like crazy trapper dudes. Uh, my favorite particular one is the one about the sheep squash uh, peeing on one of the illustrious um, cats. I saw that episode. It was the most ridiculous show I've ever seen. Some of the research we have to do is uh, anybody that's tracking some of the websites we have to go to for research for this has to wonder who we are. We're doing. I, I, I am certain I am flagged nine ways from Thursday. Just be like, uh, I, I did the USS, the last voyage of the USS Constitution. And so I was doing all sorts of research about rockets. My, my search was, would be like, rockets, how do I tamper and make them explode? Like, that would be my search, right? And then I'd be like, oh, no, that wouldn't quite do it. We need to make the rocket explode in a different way so that you can tamper with it. So I kept doing search after search. And I'm like, if I'm not on a watch list, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out um, there's quite a few cryptids that we haven't like that we could still put into the game like just the research like there's a long list of i know yeah uh, yeah yeah so i mean it's uh it's kind of like like, i have a list (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean it's it's definitely a uh a well that has not run dry. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 really it's really interesting to see, and, and, and they're always so cool. Um, I think, kind of transitioning, one of the most interesting things I think as like a game and a product that, that you all have made is there's this continuing narrative that locations are changing, things are happening, and you may like you may miss it. Like some of the locations from launch are different now and they're being occupied by people and raiders. And from the previews, it seems like that there's some stuff related to the brotherhood of steel coming out. I'm curious though, how much does the community influence those stories that you're building in the game? You know, I mean that it's, it's, I'd say in terms of community influence, um, I, I think the, the bigger area where the community has influence is more on our, our, our features and, mm-hmm. and improvements. You know, we, we have a lot of ideas on story. Um, yeah, there, there might be some uh, influence here and there, but I, I think that's where the bigger community influence comes from. Um, you know, and it's not me trying to downplay what the impact the community has. Like the community has a tremendous uh, positive impact for us as developers. But I, I just think, like, you know, where we're kind of paying more attention to what the community is saying is more on like, okay, the features were we just put out, or the features were were about to put out. Um, I'll, I'll use uh, a recent example to kind of make my point. So we, we've. Over the, uh, this past year, we've started running a public test server, right? Mm-hmm. Which gives us as developers a tremendous opportunity to put something that's still a work in progress out uh, and, and, and get early feedback on it. So that way, when it does get into the final game, it's going to uh, meet player expectation, right? Um, and so recently, we did that with our legendary perk system. We got it out there. Uh, and you know what? Like, we got some serious critical feedback on it. Like, there were there were some issues, right? Uh, the, some of the perks weren't really, um, you know, allowing some of the build flexibility that players wanted. Uh, some of the restrictions on how often you could change them uh, was not well received. So uh, we listened, 
and and we're addressing that feedback. Um, we've we've made a lot of changes. We've put it back on PTS. We're getting much much improved feedback. Um, and so that's how that's to me like where the community can have the most influence is is giving us feedback, especially when we're in the earlier stages of development, uh, to help us kind of shape and hone in these features before they go out the door, right? And the nature of it being a live game is we're always going to continue working on these things and shaping them based on community feedback. It never, it doesn't end when it, it actually in many ways starts when it goes live, but you know, this gives us a little bit of a, this gives us more iteration with a, 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 a more feedback. Cause like before that, the only feedback we could really operate on was internal feedback. And we have, I mean, we have great developers, really smart people. We get lots of feedback internally, um, but it's still, you know, a small number of people in the grand scheme of things, right? So we're not going to be able to hit all those viewpoints and 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 really uh, get get the just sheer amount of feedback that we get by putting something out on the PTS. So that, you know, that's where I think the community has a tremendous amount of impact. Um, I love it. I think it, I, I I think it makes for a better game, um, and it you know it keeps keeps us developers. On, you know, we have to, you know, we have to make sure we're we're doing our job and, and, and delivering stuff. Um, but we get that feedback so that, that that's, that's where I see the influence happening more. I, I will say that there is one way the community affects things, which is like when you do a bunch of content, you don't necessarily know what's going to resonate with the audience, right? Like, you know, it's like there, there are times where like, you know, uh, especially when you're doing companions or stuff like that, it's it's, it's a real it's anyone's guess how it's truly going to be like resonate and what, what people are going to enjoy. So mm-hmm. certainly being able to see like oh people really like this, well cool, like you know we can sort of focus a little bit more on that or like wow this thing that we thought everybody was just going to be bananas for, I, I haven't seen anybody mention it. Okay, well you know maybe you know, maybe we'll backburn that and but then like once we know sort of. It, it can help direct what what sort of areas we hit. Like it's like oh, it's like oh, cool. Look at everybody just loving this area. It's like well, we need to do something with that. That's you know, you know, some of them are pretty pretty obvious. We knew we knew White Spring was going to be pretty well received. Like if not, it's like oh, come on, it's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> amazing. <laughs> so 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 there there are a lot of guesses we got right, but certainly the community it, you know helps inform like oh wow okay. Clearly, a lot of people want to see more of this. Okay, good to know. So kind of building off of seeing the community put in those, uh, I guess, influence into the mechanics of the game. How do you all evolve camps in 2020 and then beyond? Oh, uh, yeah, no, that that's a, uh, that is a good question. So, uh, I mean, we've already announced our shelters uh, feature. Right, uh, that is on our roadmap. That's something that we're planning to release later this year. That is a, a massive expansion on our camp system. Right, so you will be able to have uh, it's an instanced interior that you can build out. Uh, and something that we're we're working on right now, and the preliminary results are super positive. We're we're uh, lightening up a lot of the building restrictions. So uh, we're calling it uh, like a you know pro mode or whatever, but that's going to be kind of the default building and uh, inside the camps. Yeah, things still snap together, but a lot of the the rules for how and what you have to place, like foundations, like you can. You, it's it's more like what you would 
it's a lot more like what you experienced like in Fallout 4. It was a lot lighter. Like you can just place wherever you want to. And I'm telling you, like already, like some of the stuff we're seeing just internally built, like from <laughs> some of our, our team members is fantastic. So I'm really excited about that feature. I think it's going to uh, open up a lot more uh, creativity and opportunity for players. Um, you know, and on top of that, we're we're always looking at ways to uh, expand or improve the budgets. You know, I'm right there with players. Like every time I get something new, I'm like, ah, I got to delete something for my camp. Guess I get, you know, like, and and Mm -hmm. so it's frustrating, right? Um, So we're we're looking at ways uh, to expand on that. Um, You know, we have a lot of building in our game is something a lot of our players do. Um, So we're very keen on continuing uh, development and and expanding that feature set in the future right I, I can't I can't give away too many more details but um, we're definitely focused on the camp as as a feature kind of a foundational feature moving forward we're gonna look for other opportunities to to expand there but the the initial thing I think to look forward to is definitely the shelters awesome. yeah that has to be really hyped <laughs> yeah that's gonna be everyone's gonna go insane over that yeah, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it is super cool and, it, and it's you know it's kind of one of those things like just even with camp like you you never really know it's hard to predict what players are going to build right like i'm just right now thinking through all the cool stuff i've seen from our players you know like i've seen launching brahmin i've seen murder churches (laughs) just last week there was an amazing shot someone uh, put on reddit of a pirate ship up on top of a mountain and it was like holy crap that's awesome like so it's just once we start once you go into a shelter and you've removed some of the building restrictions uh, you know I, I'm, I, I cannot wait to see what players build because I, it's, it's stuff we haven't even thought of. I'm, I'm confident. That's going to be so awesome. There, yeah. Some of the stuff they did with the camp, there was actually this one time where I was playing, uh, I, I was playing and I was like, okay, there's this building. It's like, and then I saw terminal. I'm like, wait a second. I have not reviewed that terminal. Like what is on that terminal? <laughs> Because, you know, sometimes people are tricksy and they try to sneak things by me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going there. It was a player terminal. I'm like, my God, that building fooled me. <laughs> the environment so well that I'm like, okay, who put this here? Oh, a player did. Well, okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love that feeling of coming up on an area, a part of the because the map's so big. You come up on a part of the map you haven't been to since the last patch or whatever, and you see a, a building on the horizon, and you go, "Huh? They added a new building over here." And then you get close enough, and you start looking at, it and you go, "Oh wait, no, somebody else built this. isn't This isn't an official building. This is a camp." Huh? Okay, cool. Yeah, but at first you kind of aren't sure. That's great. It's really cool. So um, one of the things that the community does a lot is they seem to identify themselves with specific factions. In fact, when people jump into our Discord, as soon as we find out, oh, they're here because of Fallout, that's the first thing people ask. Like, what's your favorite faction? Who do, who do you identify with? Are we going to see any sort of uh, official organizational structure around this? Like guilds? Are you going to be able to define yourself as being part of the brotherhood beyond, say, like just the outfit you're wearing or the flag that you have as your little profile image is there gonna be more to it than than just that so we've definitely had a lot of conversations on that topic uh, over the course of, of development um it's definitely something we talk a lot about i'm not ready to say confirm or deny that we're going to do anything like that in the in the near future but um it is a popular uh subject on the dev team um there's a lot of 
complexities and, and you know uh, challenges with doing something like like that in, in a game like ours. But um, you know, I, I guess I can. I'll leave it at this. It's not off the table, but I can't confirm or deny that. Okay, no, that's yet. fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. I and mean, yeah. it's just kind of cool to know because this is one of those things that people talk about and kind of yeah. you know gets floated around. So mm-hmm. obviously, fans are going to want to know that. Like, yes, you guys are listening. This is something that yeah. is in consideration and who knows maybe we'll find out more about that in the future so very cool Ken? Uh, even before the vault opened uh, and at the launch of the game it was pretty clear that pvp was meant to be part of the core aspect but i think since then we started doing things like uh building donut shops and gas stations and uh for the most part people tended to be pretty wholesome in their interactions with each other and and being generally helpful higher levels going to the vault and dropping stuff off so um pvp is kind of um the community as a, as a majority of it has really shifted away from that um to the point that it, i know uh pve content has really been prioritized this year is there a plan for bvp or um is there an opportunity for there to be like fight arenas or uh, even the the new arena that's introduced with wastelanders turn that into maybe an instant cell where pvp matches could be held something that that would at least give pvp uh, players something to do yeah i mean that's that's an interesting uh uh dilemma right like you you, uh you kind of pointed this out like our community like the overwhelming majority of our community uh turns out everybody's super nice and wholesome you know like (laughs) Who would have thought that every people in the wasteland would be nice to each other? <laughs> you know, um, so it, it, as a you know, from a developer sort of business side, that's it's it's challenging, right? Because we we have a majority of our our fans uh, doing things in the game, uh, and we need to make sure that we're we're keeping keeping them happy. But we also don't want to, you know, yes, we know that there's a, a, a portion of our fans that like to play PvP, and we. We want to try to keep them happy as best we can, but it's a it's a balancing act. Right. Um, so right now, you know, our uh, you know our the majority of our focus is still on PVE. Um, I do think uh, we have some things that are going to be longer term in uh, next year that we're doing that will uh, provide a lot of interesting opportunities for PV peers. But it's um, I can't really elaborate too much more on that, but I think That's I think there's p- really cool potential uh, for uh, PVPers uh, to to have some more unique experiences in the game. But that's going to be much longer term. I just want to set expectations. Yeah. You know, that's it's it's still a long ways out. Um, but we are actively working on that thing I'm talking about. So it's not this is not cool. that we're that it's it, it, there's active development going on. It's just a this is a massive undertaking that we're doing. Um, and I think that has a lot of potential for PVPers and, and actually a, a wide variety of players that want to do different things in our game. Um, I think it'll open up tremendous opportunity there. I, I will say, like with the whole PVP situation, I mean, one of the great things we were high, highly concerned with before launch was toxicity, because there are so yeah. many communities where their number one thing that they're trying to deal with is trying to keep the players from strangling each other in real life. Like, you know, so... Yeah, it gets... Uh... Yeah, it's it's terrifying. So, like, in fact, there was there was a note I wrote in the, the Overseer's Terminal in Vault 76, which was my sort of hidden plea, please, players, 
don't go and murder yourselves all. Try to be nice. This is your overseer, <laughs> please. And like, I, I don't think that's what actually made the community nice, but you know, hey, maybe it helped. <laughs> but knowing that we have such a just a genial community, we have to be very careful that, like, I wouldn't want to epic that for the world, right? Like, it is that that the specialness of the community is something which is kind of sacrosanct. It's like, no, whatever we do, we just need to make sure that we're not making it so that the the majority of our people that just want to play with each other and just be friends with each other are now suffering problems and inconveniences and making it so that they're getting griefed or something like that. Right. That, that, yeah. that would just be terrifying. So like anything we do, we have to do, we just have to be very careful because, uh, you know, it, we, we, we need to make sure that there's safe places to do that. And then everybody is happy, right. As opposed to, Oh, and now suddenly if you pick up this rare flower, but you can shoot you in the head, it's just like, well, I used to like this game. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so. That's what we wrestle with. <laughs> in general Bethesda games, there's a lot of messing with systems and changing the knobs and 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 seeing if, if, if I do this, then what will that do? So in this particular game, uh, there, there's been kind of these, these two builds that have come out as high level, particularly. So where do you all stand on the bloodied versus junkies build debate? Or is there another build that's your favorite? I'm going to go pineapple. <laughs> there goes the chat again. <laughs> bloody, yeah. I, I, my 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 primary character is a bloody character, bloody. so like that, it, and it is very powerful. But you're a paper tiger, right? Like any little nut, yeah. and you're dead. Yeah. Especially with yeah. some of the, the tweaks we've made. So I kind of like like I, I used to play a mage in Warcraft. Uh, World of Warcraft, and it had that same sort of feel, where it's just like all the colossal powers of the universe want to hit on the chin. I'm dead, you know. So uh, I, I kind of, I kind of dig that style because, man, when I'm going, I feel great. But you know, whereas the junkies build good build too. But uh, I, I like living dangerously. <laughs> yeah, I, my that is my honest answer. Is also I'd lean towards bloodied as well. Just that sort of glass cannon. Uh, gameplay the the junkies has a lot of there's a lot to maintaining the junkies that's it's, yeah. for me, it's like you know I uh, I just don't have the uh, the time outside of work to really sit down and invest in a junkies build like <laughs> the bloody for me is kind of more the uh, yeah there's, and that it's just the red line like you're always you're you're like a race car in the red you're always right there um, right. and is is pretty exciting but um, I will say I tend to more or less just I kind of more default to the chameleon sneaky rifle build because that's kind of how I've always played a lot of these games so I just kind of sit back and they never see they yeah th- hey they never saw what hit them and that works for me so uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's what I go to that's mine yeah um can you can you talk about anything uh, surprising you've seen requested by the community? Like, what's one of the most surprising things that you you get feedback on that you you didn't expect? I I think this is less of a rec- like surprising request, but more just sort of a reaction uh, to something we put out last year. So, uh, player vending. 
was something that uh, you know internally we knew was going to be pretty cool. It, it was you know hopefully going to help uh, facilitate more trade between players. Um, and you know we knew it, we thought it would be kind of popular, but like once it went out and you know we're seeing all the the data because obviously we collect a lot of data and we can look at what what players are doing. Uh, I mean it was way more popular than I think a lot of us would have predicted. And, and it actually, it ended up sort of creating this whole sort of sub loop play loop for, for players. Like that became like for a lot of players, like that became their jam. Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think we all would have said like, yeah, we, like we know players are going to like this. Like we, we, we like it as players, but like, you know, I, it definitely hit a, a threshold that I think very few of us would have predicted there. So that was cool. And, and um, yeah, so for me, that was kind of like a, a good surprise. Uh, that, that's definitely a good surprise. I'm trying to think if there are any bad surprises. <laughs> there have been. I've probably blo- blocked them all out of my, my brain. Um, yeah, Farad, I don't know if you had one. Well, I, I would say that, like, I, I fully expected uh, PvP to be huge like a huge component of the game. And it actually, it really changed what I was planning to do um, because in fact, there was uh, some stuff that there was a quest in particular that I was a million percent behind and, but it was PPP focused and it, I think was going to be really cool. But then once I saw like, this is the audience I have, I'm like, this idea doesn't work. It's, it's a bad fit for this. Um, and so just just the the real letting that sink in it's like okay we have some people and I, I think it makes a certain amount of sense most a lot of the people that came from us came from single player right and what yeah. did they really want to do they wanted to be with their wife their dad their son you know yeah. daughter that's what they wanted and so I don't think that the thing that they were most anticipating is cool I get to find strangers and gank them that's <laughs> the top of their list, right? It was more like, hey, I want to play with my friends. I want to play with my college remain, I don't see. That's yeah. what they wanted. And so that being your baseline, I think in retrospect, I think we could have predicted that maybe PvP isn't going to be as popular as we think. But still that, that was that was very surprising. And it was just it was also just amazingly surprising just how beyond not being PvP, just how generous people are. Like there, there have been times where I'm, I'm basically turning people down. Like, no, 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 don't give me any more. I, I, trust me, I'm good. Like, I, I have everything. <laughs> but people, people are really nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, to to close this up, I, I have to ask a question that, of course, gets tossed around in the community. But question: Fallout One, Two, Three, New Vegas remake. Re-release, <laughs> new consoles coming out. Are we going to see any of that happen? You, you're okay. interviewing the wrong people to get an answer. You need to be talking to Todd Howard to get an answer. I, I, I just, I, if any of that is in the works, I sure don't know. So, yeah, I'm just excited about the Amazon series. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> oh, that is going to be amazing. Yeah. As soon yeah. as I saw that, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, guys, thank you. More about that than we do. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've we've already discussed it on one of the most recent episodes, and, and we've nerded out about it. In fact, that's uh, the patron episode yeah. of the Fall Warcast. This tomorrow night, we're going to record it, and we're all going to talk about our hopes and dreams for that series and, and what we're hoping for. So, 
Yeah, hopes and Ron dreams. Perlman, Ron Perlman, and fears, and you know, please, please make this awesome. Um, but, but guys, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah. This has been awesome getting to uh, see your perspectives and and get a little bit more inside glimpse to, uh, you know, what you guys go through and the kind, you know, your feedback from the community, the way you watch and plan and and have adjusted over time. It's it's really cool to see it a little bit more from the inside, from you know, from us fans. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Yes, oh. thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank, thank you. It's been kind of delightful because uh, I listen to some of your podcasts. And so for me, it's just like, oh, cool. I get to talk to, I get to, talk to these guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Open invitation. Whenever you guys would like to join us yeah. on any of our shows, you're, you're always welcome. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> sure. You awesome. want to do a, a voice on the show? <laughs> 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 I, I, I do voices. Uh, perhaps not well, but I do voices. <laughs> I will say That's fine. He, he does do voices well. I will. I will vouch. I, <laughs> uh, One thing you don't know, because none of these ever survive, is actually like we do. Uh, if you write, eventually you do placeholder VO for yourself, and uh, you know just because. In order for people to understand the quest before it's an actor reads it, it's very important to understand the inflection and all that stuff. And also, just as a yeah. writer, you're reading your stuff, you actually catch a lot of, ooh, that's, that doesn't work. And so I have voiced all of my characters, and I try to act. Can you, can you, is, there, is there one you can do for us real quick? Is there a specific character? Oh, can you yeah. do like a Morty Mort? Or, uh, well, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one I can do, unplugged. I, I can't. I shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> Durant. The one thing, of course, I can't do is the one thing that's springing to my mind. Uh, ah. Ah. I mean, you could do. You could do a Codsworth. You could do uh, a Rose. You could do. A, give me a line, like an overseer. I, I did a lot of lines for um, Sprite Grant or Maxon. Maxon. You know, Maxon. Maxon was a lot of fun to just yeah. try to get into that space. It actually helped me develop his character a little bit. Okay. Like the talks, like it's funny because I'm talking to myself. It's the Taggarty Maxon exchanges that you get were they helped the writing of that tremendously because having Taggarty say like, you know, you don't understand Maxon, like. Uh-huh. Like, what you're talking about might work over here, but these people, like, we give them a gun, they're going to shoot people. We can't allow that. And he's like, listen, we're here for these people. You understand that, right? Like, it's not, uh-huh. you know, this shouldn't be about us. We're doing all of this for them. One day we're going to have to give it back to them, so we have to do that. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Nice. Yeah, that's Very cool. good. Jackson, Sassy Lady Romer, Eric, and the creator Maverick as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it using at FalloutRTD. You can send us an email using falloutrtd at gmail.com. 
Join us, the conversation has already started.